I'm Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. So this week we are ending our March Madness on a high note with the 1990 American psychological thriller, Misery. Everybody talks like that. They do not. What do you think I say when I go to the feed store in town? Oh, now, Wally, give me a bag of that effing pig feed and 10 pounds of that bitchly cow corn. And in the bank, do I tell Mrs. Bollinger, oh, here's one big bastard of a check. Give me some of your Christing money. There, look there. See what you made me do? Cue Lady Gaga paparazzi. Because I'm your biggest fan. I'll follow you until you love me. Paparazzi, paparazzi. Fantabulous. Thank you. I can't I can't wait to put that in. Yes. <laughs> so this movie is directed by Rob Reiner and is based on Stephen King's 1987 novel of the same name. It stars James Kahn, Kathy Bates, Lauren Bacall, Richard Farnsworth, and Francis Sternhagen. Obviously, heavy, heavy spoilers. We are going to be talking about everything that is misery and everything that is the wonderful, beautifully acted Kathy Bates which apparently she graduated, a little trivia, she graduated from White Station High School in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I taught high school choir for three oh, years. Oh, cool. Yes. That's super cool. So <laughs> just a little, um, you know, by association, me and Kathy Bates, you know, White Station High School, whoop, whoop, those Spartans. So any uh, trigger warnings, Jamie, for this movie? Um, yeah. I mean, there is a, there is a lot of violence in this movie, a lot of very – Violent, unsettling images, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those poor ankles. Um, those poor ankles. So <laughs> oh. <clears throat> um, and just like a lot of uh, tension, uh, trauma, um, mm. like discussions of, of infanticide, um, allusions to like murder-suicides, mm. um, just allusions to a lot of murder. Uh, so if that is not for you, then, you know, steer clear. Maybe just read the book or, or, you know, maybe read check the out book, something else. But also the book seems, it, it seems as yeah, if it's probably just going to be just as, <laughs> just as descriptive, just as descriptive, just as worse. And I will get into it, but I, I read somewhere that in the book, it's not, they don't break the ankle. She cuts off the foot. Ooh. Spoiler alert. But so if you you don't want to read about feet getting cut off, then maybe you shouldn't read the book either. Just listen to us talk about it. We'll make you feel calm about it. It's all good. (laughs) So before we get into that, is there anything new that you guys watch? And I ask this because I watched something, but I'm going to ask you first. 
Any new things? No. I don't think so. You okay. you tell us. I want to hear what you've seen. Yeah. Oh, I so I'm just back at home now, you know, getting acclimated to off-the-road life and decided to turn my Amazon Prime on to a movie called Nocturne. <clears throat> and it hmm. stars what's her name? Sydney Sweeney. She's in uh Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think she plays what's her name, Cassie, I believe. I don't I don't watch the show yeah. Euphoria, but yes. And the reason I watched it was because obviously it was horror, but it also there she's a piano major at a at a music conservatory, <laughs> and the movie was pretty wild in the sense of, you know, when you try to add horror and music, and it's kind of like the what, what was the movie we watched Star, um, Starry Eyes, Starry Eyes, yes. When it's that go-getter attitude and I'll do anything slash summon a demon to get inside of me so that I can be the best at something. It just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, that kind of niche is just not, uh, I don't think it really, I don't think I've seen a movie where it translates super well as far as in the music industry, but I just thought it was something interesting to watch. And if you enjoy Sydney Sweeney, she's always great. And uh, if you enjoy people playing piano vigorously then you know this is a movie that you should probably watch but <laughs> it was just something so random but I said oh I, I should just you know watch some other horror things expand my knowledge sure maybe a, mm-hmm. a two out of ten for me but again if you like Sydney and you like pianos then watch this movie <laughs> what a recommendation <laughs> <laughs> I put a lot of stuff into my queue this week that I'll eventually get to in five years, but uh, but I that's like my favorite pastime, just like seeing the new horror movies that come out and putting them in my queues, and then Absolutely. looking up what I want to watch, and then deciding on something I've already seen. It's always that I always. always go through everything that I've saved or added to my list, and then I end up just watching Bob's Burgers for the eighty millionth time. Yeah. Because my anxiety, I need to just watch something that I've already seen. Totally, you know? totally. To make it work. Well, I'll tell you what. This is something I'd never seen before. Oh, really? Yeah, my first time. Oh, there's so much to discuss. This is going to mm-hmm. be an exciting time, but we need to have a plot summary so that we know what you have not watched until now, Brian. My God. Nice. So who is it? It might be me. <laughs> I think it is you. Okay. What's the plot? <laughs> oh, I also like ready. that I've somehow sneakily gotten away with not doing a plot summary in months, so I'm just gonna let that one. Well, go. get you'll do the witch next week. <laughs> right, we'll make you've just you just locked yourself into V V I T C H. Oh, good thing I watched the beginning of that movie twice because I couldn't finish it the first time. Damn. But you've seen you've seen it all the way. I done. saw the whole thing. All right, yeah. we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> all right, we're not. Right. I don't let Nikisha. I'm going to. I'm going to record. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to time you. Okay, okay, let me. I just open my calculator. I do that 100 percent of the time. Oh, have you ever tried? Hey, you're to, just going to type the number, the, yeah. the countdown every time. Have you ever tried to call somebody like, and you needed to like put in a number or something like that, and you open calculator? No, no I, one. No. No. <laughs> anyway, you have two I have minutes. Open, I have open text messages to put okay. in by accident, but mm-hmm. yeah. hey, that's okay. Yeah, you're like uh, I'm not as dumb as you, but I've done some silly things. <laughs> All right, uh, you have two minutes uh, to tell us the plot of Misery starting now. 
So we open up with a writer. His name is Paul, and he just finished a book. He's in a cabin in Colorado, finishing up one of his uh, books. And so he gets done, and he's going back to New York City. And in the midst of that, there is a huge snowstorm in which he drives off of the road because he was trying to drive in the snow for some odd reason that gave me PTSD. And so then eventually somebody finds him, drags him out of the car. He wakes up in a house. He's with Annie Wilkes, who's his number one fan, read all of his books. And he, uh, she's taking care of him. She says that the roads are closed and the phone lines are down. So they can't get him to a hospital and she can't call anyone either. And so after a very long time, uh, he kind of realizes this lady is a little bit cuckoo insano. And <clears throat> He tries to uh, escape her because she's very forceful. She gets aggressive a lot of the times. And uh, she noticed that he has a book and his new book that he just got done writing. And she reads it, but calls him a dirty birdie for all of the swearing that he does in the book. And she burns the book. And he really is like, okay, I have to get the hell out of here because she is trying to keep him in control him. And so... Uh, he tries to figure out a way to get out. 30 but, seconds. Oh, shoot. Um, but he can't. And there's a sheriff that's also trying to find him. Eventually, the sheriff does find him. But then Annie kills the sheriff. And then uh, eventually, Paul is able to hit Annie with a typewriter to kill her. And he finds a way to get out. And he gets back to New York. And Annie is dead. And now he has a book that's published. And he tries to go on with his life without the horrible trauma he just experienced. <laughs> and that's it. Good job. Yay. That's the plot. Nice. I realize there's in this movie, you know, in describing any movie, you realize that there's so much and then there's not <laughs> at the same time. It's like, what do you go totally. into detail about? Because he's totally. just in the house and different yeah. things are just happening inside the house. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you talk about the fact that like she convinced him to write the new book because right. she like wanted misery to be alive? Like, mm -hmm. do you go into all that? But like really fundamentally, like he's trapped in trying to escape. Yes, that's the yeah. core essence of it. Totally. And I, we didn't even get into the ankles. I mean, that was the biggest thing. She didn't want yeah. him to leave. And so she decided that I'm just going to cripple you because you need more time. Is what so important more. question, important question that I always obviously bring up at the beginning of these episodes. Um, do you have strong or weak ankles? Like, do you roll your <laughs> ankles all the time? Do you feel like you have strong ankles? Like, I'm not saying you would withstand a sledgehammer, but like, I feel like people who have more flexible ankles potentially like mm. heal faster. I'm not a doctor. I may have made that up. That's a really um, good point though. Um, but like, do you, I, I have weak ankles. I roll them all the time. However, they're flexible and I don't sprain my ankles, if that mm, makes sense. Yeah, like I don't get ankle injuries, but I all the time will roll them and shake it off and keep going without a limp. I'm just wondering if you have ankle, um, any <laughs> ankle in, in, interesting fa fun facts about your ankles. Uh, I love, first off, that you said that this is a question you will continue to keep asking us. Um, <laughs> My I will not. I won't keep asking about ankles. I will. I will always bring up something at the beginning of the episode that you know, like the ladder question. Oh, the ladder was just fantastic. Go watch our Jacob's Ladder episode just for the ladder sounds alone. Okay, it's quite fantastic. Uh, 
Brian, to your point, I actually have super weak ankles. Mm. And during the pandemic, I was going to physical therapy just because I was I was getting a lot of knee problems. But it started because I don't have strong ankles and everything is connected. And it's I would not have survived. Also, the fact that he is pulling himself by his upper body strength because he cannot use his legs. Mm -hmm. Again, no upper body strength can barely do a pull up. I'm proud I can do one, maybe two, but would not have been able to crawl. Right. (laughs) Snaps. Would not have been able to crawl around that house like he did because Mm. I just would have I would not have survived. What about you, Jamie? Sure. No, there's there's no way. I don't have upper body strength. I don't have lower body strength. I don't have strength. Um, I have psychological strength. I, this yes. just would have been a whole disaster for me. Um, yes. That being said, I do think that there is like the adrenaline of it all that's like making it – I mean like that's – part of that is to help us survive. So like, mm, you know, he might mm-hmm. be not feeling the full pain because like – he has so much like epinephrine running through his veins that he's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta like do whatever I can to, to make it out and like exhaust all my options. So I do think as painful as like watching him, you know, drag himself around that, like Mm -hmm. just the, the way that like the body's working to protect itself. I, I imagine he wouldn't have felt all of that because he's just like so driven by fear. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a great point. Also, what was the word that you used that was for adrenaline? F Oh, epinephrine. Okay. Tell I me, always get epinephrine and norepinephrine confused, but that's like one of the neurotransmitters um that uh Smart. you know is is related to fight or flight. And also mm. in an EpiPen. That's that's what's <gasps> in an EpiPen. You learn something new every oh, day. Oh, Epi, like epinephrine. Yeah, yeah, epinephrine. Yep. It's we can end the episode. We don't need to I talk mean- about anything else. <laughs> Big brains. <laughs> that is mind-blowing and fantastic all at the same time. You know, that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I know this is something that is exaggerated, but there is an episode of Broad City where- An uh, epinephrine episode? Yes. An oh. epinephrine episode. Oh, yes. That needs to be in our what we talk about. Uh, <laughs> little snippets. So- um, <clears throat> Alana has a seafood allergy, and so Abby is. Trying oh, to get I remember! Her I remember this EpiPen. episode. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then Abby sticks the epipen inside of her instead of Alana, and then she gains all of this adrenaline and jumps on a table and and screams, and then just picks up Alana and carries her out of the <laughs> out of the restaurant because she has all of this strength now. But then that makes sense that it has to do with adrenaline in a sense mm-hmm. or your fight or flight all the things you just said but that's oh wow you learn something new every day there and you go. this is why we do this podcast the more you know <laughs> fantastic is that what right is? <laughs> the rainbow <laughs> yes okay so let's get into our section of likes and gripes for the movie misery and now our likes and gripes. So, Jamie, would you like to start? Give us what you liked, what you hated about this, and let me know what your relationship with this movie is. Have you seen it before? Yeah, so I have seen this movie a few times before, um, maybe like three or four times. Um, I, I mean, I think this is a great movie. 
Um, obviously Kathy Bates is incredible. Her performance, it's like the, the like nuance between, especially in the scene with the sheriff, Mm, like mm -hmm. the nuance between like her kind of keeping her stuff together, but still being really like true and authentic to who she is of like, I'm his number one fan. Let me give you all these facts about him. Right. Um, but like, yeah, like give her like any monologue in this in this movie is excellent. She's just so good. Um, and I mean, you know, I know everyone talks about like the hobbling scene is like the scene, but yeah. there's like the earlier part where she's holding the soup and you see her like, you know, start to flip that switch for the first time. Mm. And like, that's very unsettling. Um, and then like, you know, when, when she flips and she's, she comes in the room and it's raining and she's like so low and depressed and it's like, what is going on? Like she really, I mean, yeah, she, she earned her, her Oscar, like good for her. Um, and I mean, I thought James Conn did a really good job too, like in trying to get behind the mind of someone who kind of is like, you're trapped and Mm -hmm. you are trying to placate someone who like, you can't really totally read well because she's presenting in a lot of different ways. And it's like, how do you know what is going to set her off? You really don't because like, it's things that, you know, aren't like, that don't make sense. Um, because she's like not totally in reality. So it's like, I think that he also has a really challenging time because it's like, I'm interfacing with somebody that's like not your typical interaction. Mm -hmm. And like, I like, it's a, it feels like a lose, lose all the time. And I think you like see that in him trying to like make light of things and like kind of make jokes because he's not really, cause I think he's uncomfortable and doesn't really know, you know, what to do. Um, and so I think that that's kind of like, I think he does a really good job of like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm gonna, you know, just like try to make this as okay as possible. And then it becomes really Mm -hmm. not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also I love the scenes with the sheriff and his wife. I think they're so funny, yes. and I think that they like definitely cut the tension a lot. And I I actually in having seen this movie so many times, it's still been a while. I totally forgot that he R.I.P. gets like shotgunned in the back. That was yeah. like so upsetting. It was very um, yeah. But um, overall, I I really enjoy this movie. I don't really have a lot of of gripes that I can think of. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Jamie. I watched this movie for the first time during the pandemic because I think at one point it was streaming on one of the services. So I decided to watch it and fell in love with it in Kathy Bates even more than, you know, some of the scenes that I had previously seen through all of the YouTube countdown videos that I watched. And so I definitely have seen the hobbling scene before, but not in context. And so going back and seeing the trajectory of everything that happens and how it builds up, it just is icing on a already really fabulous cake. (laughs) So Kathy Bates, of course, her acting is fantastic. I love the simplistic uh, progression of the story. I love the close-ups uh, that the camera gives on Kathy Bates because it, you know, those lower kind of looking up close-ups, it kind of adds to her insanity and and how obsessed that she is. And I love the tension building, especially the first time when 
Annie leaves the house and he, Paul gets out and he's just trying to search for an exit or anything that he can to help him. And he's just there a little bit too long. And my anxiety was on absolute 10 because, you know, he, he found that he couldn't have any exits, you know, get a weapon and then get the fuck back into the room before she comes back because you don't know what the hell she's going to do. And he eventually is able to you know, make it back. I also love that in that first scene when he's coming out of the room and he drops the penguin little statue and then puts it back, that that's something that isn't immediately addressed. It's not addressed until later. Totally. I love that. It's almost like as an audience member, you like the, the, the camera lingers on the penguin, you know, it's Mm going to come back, but it happens so far into the movie, like maybe almost like 40 minutes later that like Mm -hmm. you almost forget about it, audience member. And it hits you harder because it's not still at the top of your head. If that makes sense. Exactly. That's such a good point. That's an awesome point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many other things have happened that is escalating. And so you, uh, like you said, and you forget about it. And then when it comes back, it's just, you know, compounded 10 times more (laughs) because Mm -hmm. everything else has already been happening. We already know how insane she is. We already know that she wants to keep him forever and ever like a little pet. And then it turns around and she says, oh yes, I did notice that penguin. So I knew that you got out. Ah, fantastic. Soundtrack is great. Uh, I don't have any gripes except for I was mad of, of how long he was roaming around in uh, outside of his room. Uh, but other than that, I think that he made some pretty good decisions of trying to get himself out given the circumstance, especially like Jamie, you were talking about, you don't, he doesn't know how to operate. And so he's just taking one step at a time. And if something doesn't work, he reverts back and tries again. And as far as just human behavior, things he I think this I wasn't yelling at the screen of why are you doing this well also except when he was in the snow because driving in the snow is absolute trash (laughs) I had to do it for two months in Wisconsin and Michigan Mm -hmm. and Mm. it is the worst thing so why would anyone if it's snowing that much still be driving so fast also by the way if you do not know because I'm from the south so I don't know how to drive in the snow but if you are braking (laughs) do not just slam on the brakes you have to Mm. keep pushing it like pulsating on it and then it slows itself down otherwise you will just ski skirt all the way ski skirt <laughs> wait what do you do? i'm sorry what do you do you have to pulse on the brakes pulse on no the i don't that's not what you said <laughs> i don't know what otherwise I said. what I'm happens i think you said i think skeet you said skeet skeet skirt skeet skirt you bop beep bop. You bop. <laughs> Fantastic. Brian, can you tell us your likes and gripes of this movie? Sure. I have never seen this movie before. This is just one of those movies that like slipped through the cracks. I know she won Best Actress. I'm obsessed with the Oscars. I love Kathy Bates. I love Stephen King. I love Rob Reiner. I love James Conn. Like I love Richard Farnsworth and Lauren Bacall, who I had no idea were in this movie. I I literally thought this movie was just the two of them. And mm. like, uh, just because like, those are the only scenes you ever see on like a top 10 craziest moments in movies, like, yes. like the sledgehammer scene and stuff like that. And I knew that she was amazing in this. Um, so I was really excited to watch it and it definitely lived up to the hype overall. Um, it's really well made. It's definitely a product of its era. 
like like it's very 90s from the music to the clothes mm-hmm. and that's okay it's a it's a period piece it's not trying to be anywhere or anything um uh you know uh, so I, I i like that also you know an updated version of this would be weird because of cell phones and stuff like that um oh, yeah but sure. i i i really liked it a lot she it makes me sad that she won for this and like I know this is elevated horror because it's Rob Reiner, it's big names, it's Stephen mm-hmm. King. Like I feel like those get a little bit more um, bump at times. But it makes me really sad that like this is kind of the last person to win, quote, playing horror. Like yeah. you could – but, you know, you have like Charlize Theron who played like a serial killer and like I guess mm. that's horror. But it's also based mm. on a real person. It's not like a Stephen King horror movie and things right, like that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me sad because like let's be honest, like Tony Collette should have been nominated for Hereditary. Like mm-hmm. those performances yes. to keep them grounded and believable is really tough because it's – I feel like it's so easy – to pass into something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel about that, but she's amazing. I think the movie is great. Right. I, I would have to watch this a couple more times because I have some gripes that may not be gripes on multiple viewings. Um, mm-hmm. That is inclusive of, I'm not sure how I felt about the beginning. I don't know if it's too short or if it's too long for them getting into it. I say that because like it might be too short because I wanted a little bit more information, I guess. It just felt very rushed to get him into the situation. But also Mm -hmm. like if we just got him there even faster than it did in this one and there's that like one weird flashback where they flashback to dinner about like him killing the misery character. Yeah. Um, That that felt like a weird flashback to put in there like – that's the only thing that's not chronological. So it just felt very weird. Um, um, uh, so that's the, my first gripe. My second gripe is I have to watch it again. The epilogue just didn't feel full enough. I need it. Maybe it's because I just, I love context around things. And like, mm. I, I just needed a little bit more like 18 months later, he walks with a cane, but he's like totally fine. And, and then like, and then he sees her, but he like frames it as something positive. I just think something was missing there. I don't know what, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe like, maybe the music wasn't enough. Maybe it wasn't like jarring enough in the moment that maybe it should have been more of like a jump scare for the audience, but not him. I don't know, but it just, it, it felt too casual and maybe that's okay. Maybe 18 months later, like he just casually accepts that she's in his life forever in his head. I don't know. But like he did get a little bit freaked out when she came. I, I I don't know if we, the audience, were supposed to have a different reaction than he did because I feel like the whole way through the movie, we're very much on his page, learning things about pun intended on his page, learning mm-hmm. things about her. And yeah. then I feel like we're not on the same page with him in those last like two minutes with um with his publisher, his agent, his manager. Um, so his agent. So that that's another thing I have, and something else. And I I, I, I talked to Jamie about this, but I want your Thoughts on this, Takesha, once we kind of get into that, because I have some acting questions for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm hindered by the fact that I know that she's nutty already. Yeah. But I just don't feel like 
he was enough on edge for the first 30 minutes of this movie. He felt very casual about it. And whether James Conn was playing it super small so that we could see his character grow, or it just felt, he felt so casual. The moment that she said, I was following you, sometimes I'd look and watch you. Like, I think, I don't know. As a movie, I feel like I should have seen a little bit more of his fear, but I understand mm. that he's trying to not show his fear to her. Like I yeah. get I get the choices behind it, but I don't know. I didn't get into James Caan's side of the story um, until maybe halfway through the movie, like when he starts to try to get escape and stuff like that. And you actually see when she leaves, you see the fear because mm-hmm. the first half of this movie you only see the scenes between him and her. You never yeah. see him alone being afraid in the room. She's always with him. And I feel like that is what's missing. His being his ability to be by himself and try to assess the situation um, is lost until, he, until the moment where he's like figuring out the pills and stuff like that. I right. think that was missing for me um, in terms of fulfilling this out. Also, I needed... And maybe this is in the book and they cut it for the movie, but I needed more context around like how does a well like media covered nurse who killed babies in a hospital, how do and and they and they, even the cop says when they're in the helicopter, oh, that's the old Wilkes place. Like he knows she still lives there. Like, like are wouldn't she be suspicion number one because like she killed babies i feel like in a small town like that everyone would know no yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. how did she get out of prison if she was convicted like that whole backstory of how she's out and able to do this and maybe i missed it on the first viewing i would have liked a little bit more context i i can almost guarantee it's in the book i have not read the book yeah so i think that like the movie was awesome and I was on edge. I was like, I was jumpy. Like those types when she spills the wine, I get my, my, my skin crawls. She's wonderful. He's really good. Part of me feels like it was perfect. I don't change anything. Another part of me is like, because I don't, I've never seen it before. I wanted a little bit more from it. Um, Mm. The sledgehammer scene is great. Um, But I would, I agree with Jana rambling, but I would agree with Jamie Mm. that, the scenes between the two of them where she's kind of going in and out of maybe she hears voices in her head. Maybe she hears misery in her head. Maybe she like, like th- when she snaps and then it comes back to you and all of that, those are at my actual favorite scenes in the movie, not necessarily the body horror. Also something that bothered me and I know this is stupid, but like his, his feet, his like his, his, his like grotesque legs. Yeah. Um, when he's on the floor crawling around, you can see that the toes are like stuck together because it's just like foam or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like you could see like the special effects that I would prefer that than CG. So, but like when she un- so that bothered me a little bit. But when she uncovers the when you see the legs for the first time in the bed and she just like moves the blanket, that yeah. definitely got me. Just yeah, there's there's gross. also. I mean, very gross. There's also a moment about the special effects too, Brian when. Kathy is tripped and her head hits the typewriter. Sure. If you, you can definitely tell that that's a, a, a dummy. That, oh, interesting. She yes, hits like a pillow. I, it wasn't her head. It was not her head. <laughs> but it's just um, so obvious, you know, just a bug eyed sure. and you can pause on it and definitely just see it's a rubber, little rubber head happening. <laughs> yeah. A little rubber head. I also, um, uh, I also, you know what the actual worst part of the movie was for me? 
What? By far, no questions asked, when she kills the sheriff. Mm-hmm. One, because it's the first time we see her do something like crazy malicious in terms of like actually killing someone, even though he already found I believe up at that till up until that point he found that she had murdered those babies and and smothered mm-hmm. people and stuff like that. But yeah. like we saw her kill him, and like that's when even though she does mess around with the gun earlier in her pocket beforehand, like when she's depressed in the rain and stuff like that, which was an, I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, but like, and also we've just, we, we just became, I personally, I became so invested in like the kinks between the, uh, the sheriff and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved her. And like, I got scared for his wife, like so deeply said. Also, I love that actress who plays his wife, um, who, if you've ever, she's in the mist, the Stephen King adaptation. Oh. She is in um, a ton of stuff. Um, she's on ER for a while. Um, she, I, I just like I've seen her in a million things, and I didn't know she was in this, so I, that made me very happy. And then it made me mm. very sad. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that some of the points that you made up are a great segue, Brian, into our next segment of the show called. Mm, brains. Brains. And the point that you uh, made, Brian, about how you felt James was reacting to Kathy Bates at the very beginning, the first you know, 30 minutes when she says, Hey, I was following you and all of that stuff. So this can be a group conversation. It's not just a question for Jamie, but for me, it seems like Paul overlooked Annie's fandom because she saved his life. And so Mm. that's what kind of got me through those first couple of minutes. It's because, okay, yes, she might've been following me, but it was actually good because I would have been dead because of her. Mm And so what is it about the the human condition that makes us feel a little indebted to others for a kind deed, even though we find out that this is malicious? Well, I just want to take a second. That's an incredible question. Yay. I love that. Don't answer it. Let's just leave the question as is. No, that, no, that, that question end, gave me. End of episode. Yeah, that question gave me goosebumps. I know that's stupid, but it did. Go Anyway, sorry. Stupid. Go on. Producer, out. <laughs> No, listen, we love a validation moment, so thanks. Uh, but no, it, it's it's true. You know, people do something for you, and even if you don't try to, you feel indebted to them to where if they asked you for a favor later on, you would say yes because, oh, they did this one thing for me. I need to reciprocate that and do something for them. So I guess this is just an open discussion on that ideal. Do you ever feel that way, or are you... Do you think, oh, they they helped me? Okay, I'm good. You know, peace out. <laughs> what are what are your opinions about that, Jamie? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that like there's this degree of like, <clears throat> um, maybe obligation or and also like politeness. Like you don't want to you don't want to offend somebody who like went out of their way to do something so kind to you, like mm-hmm. for you, and and like how much of that also clouds his judgment and ability to like pick up on, Oh, this is the situation is not safe for me. Like this is not okay. Right. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting. Like 
you know, was, I, I, def, I don't know how much of that was her intention because like she didn't cause, she didn't cause the accident. Right. But there's yeah. so much after that, that like is within her control that she is like manipulating the situation of. And so it's like, <clears throat> oh, this, this thing, this random thing happened and she like happened to be there. And then, and then she saved his life. But then it's like, oh, now I'm going to like put you in these positions where it's like, but you kind of have to because I saved your life. And that's right. Um, and like him kind of just like, you know, having gratitude, but maybe also like accepting it because, you know, he is appreciative and, and like would have otherwise died. But I feel like sometimes, sometimes that can, sometimes like that, that, desire to be polite can like there could be tension with our own intuition of like well Mm. you know this person is saying that they're doing like we take things at face value like she's saying that she's doing this because like she's a nurse and out of the kindness of her heart and things like that but then also like she's a little sus (laughs) just a a little bit and it's so interesting even you talking about that it makes me think why didn't she didn't she ever approach him beforehand if she was following him you know and she knew his every what he was doing why hmm. didn't she contact him before but i guess in this sense he was in a position where he couldn't go anywhere and all he hmm. had was her and she took advantage of that so i guess i'm answering my own question <laughs> by saying mm-hmm. that but that's why we talk about things out loud i yes. i have a, i have a question for the two of you um if you were in the James Conn situation at the beginning of this movie and and she told you that she was your number one fan and that she loves your books and that um, she had been following you essentially, um, mm. would you have believed her when when she mentioned like the phone lines and the roads? Because you already – like there's something sus, as Jamie said, going on there. But like mm-hmm. – like, like, would your brain have been like, oh, like, I guess now that you've seen this movie, you absolutely would think this. But, like, let's say that, like, you didn't and this was a new situation for you. Like, would you think that, like, she was lying about the phone lines and the roads and things like that? And this is in 1990 in a, in, in, in a small co- Colorado right. town, not, like, now today where, like, you have more mm-hmm. stuff. You know that the roads are going to be paved, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. It's definitely the context of the '90s, and if as someone from, like I said from the South and not knowing how to maneuver myself in snow, I would absolutely believe what she said about the phone lines and about the roads because that's how I got into the situation. It's because I was driving on the roads that mm-hmm. were obviously dangerous and got hurt. So. I I believe just from what I had just experienced. So if she said that the roads were closed and the phone lines were down, then that's absolutely believable in that moment. Now, the first time that I heard her drive off in that car, that's when I would be, you know, a little like, what is, sure. what is happening mm-hmm. because you just drove. And I think that, you know, she, in this sense, does a, a quote unquote good job of covering her tracks by saying, oh, well, there's just one road to the store or, you know, to, to the town and there's a different road to the hospital. And so mm-hmm. you can't get to, you know, and, oh, I use the phones in town cause the phones here aren't working. I mean, and you never hear the phones ringing, of course, because mm-hmm. she's 
taking them apart, but I, I think it's, I think it's definitely a situation that is believable in the context of being in the nineties and what he experienced. I would believe what she said. Cool. Jamie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I am guilty of taking people at face value, but also I think like given the context, I, I probably would believe it. And like, even if she did drive away, it's like, well, she can, you know, snowplow her own property. Like, Who's to say that yeah. the the town is is able to like keep up with um, you know, however many feet of snow there are. So like it's believable that, you know, she might be able to get around and I have mm-hmm. no I have no other information to go by. So right. man. I just also like I wouldn't be in the situation because I wouldn't be driving in the snow, but also right. I wouldn't be driving because driving is scary. <laughs> I think that's a fair scary. point. <laughs> have you ever have either of you ever gone off the road in the snow no yes you, yeah well, not off of the road but i slid. was making a turn and i my car slid into a parked car mm. no. so that is why i'm very Mm-mm, don't like sure. it don't like the <laughs> sure. snow and this uh Mm-mm. past winter well i guess it's still technically no it's spring it's spring now this past winter we were in dayton oh no 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 Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it snowed every single day. But well, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing closes <laughs> because they're used to it. And so we still had to get to work. And I lived a 10-minute drive away, so I oh could not walk it. I had to figure out a way. And there were barely any Ubers mm. uh, there. So, And if there were, they were skyrocket prices, and you would be waiting for an hour for sure. it. Sure. So I had to drive my car and I just remember driving 10 miles an hour, but still just swerving at every chance. It Mm -hmm. was, it was quite wild. So absolutely. I would definitely believe everything that Annie said. Also, yes, girl, feed me soup while I sit here (laughs) and lay in this bed. (laughs) Thank you kindly. (laughs) Uh, More on the, on the human behavior though. And this is just a, a, a random question that I'm curious if you guys have ever tried this but we always see in movies the hairpin and the lock Mm, mm -hmm. and I don't know how locks work I am not a locksmith (laughs) I don't know that information (laughs) but have you ever tried to get out of a place and also houses really aren't built with those kinds of locks anymore Mm -hmm. but have you ever tried to unlock anything I guess a, a suitcase a door with a hairpin. Does that, does that even really work? Do you know? I, I, I'm sure I tried as a kid, but like, no, I've never, ever been successful with picking locks. Um, that's just not my, that is not (laughs) my skill set. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it's an escape room, I'm not like, and it's, and it's, I'm supposed to do it. Like I'm not, that's not, that's not for, that's not what I do. Mm. Yes, I've just always seen it and I've always been curious to try, but I've never been in a house that had those kinds of locks where I could try. But you know what I do have a plethora of? Hairpins. And they're everywhere because (laughs) it's females. Mm -hmm. I have opened doors with credit cards before. Really? Oh, that's cool. Is it just because you're sliding and... I don't know. Yeah. So because the credit card is, yeah, breaking in with Brian. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because the credit card is plastic, but it's it's also durable and flexible. Like Mm -hmm. 
if the if where the like door where where the latch for the door goes into the wall, if it's shallow enough, you can like sneak your credit card around it so that you're just pulling it so it so that it pushes that thing back into the door right so it comes back out yeah Mm -hmm. but if it has like a bolt or anything it's really just like a very basic kind of door situation um but yeah not a deadbolt situation because it's no because it's too far in totally okay Mm, got it another random question but maybe jamie you can answer this so is it she gives him a bunch of pills, and of course, mm-hmm. he wants the pain to go away, so he is just taking whatever she is uh, giving him. I'm assuming, I'm just going to assume that the name of the pill is something that's fake. But my question is, is it illegal to give your personal pills to someone, even if it's maybe just like an over-the-counter situation, like, I have some Tylenol and you need it, and I give you Tylenol, you know? And, and I guess... It might be more of illegal if it's something that was prescribed personally to you for a specific thing, and then you try to give it to someone. But I'm, I guess I'm curious. Do you know anything about that? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I think that it is. It could be bad. Um, <laughs> for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like I think about uh, you know folks who might be overly friendly and sharing with personal prescriptions with others and like mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not always the best um and i think depend i mean in terms of like it being illegal i think it depends on like how much are you giving and is it giving is it selling <laughs> yeah um like i think context is uh is what matters there um yeah but I mean, I know she's not like selling it to him, but also like, why does she have this stockpile? Exactly. Like, where is this? Where is this coming from? Yes. Well, that, and I, I asked this question because it reminds me of a Shit's Creek episode where Moira, I think, what does she give? She gave some pills to, or some Tylenol or some sorts to someone in who was also occupying one of the hotel rooms, but then he dies. And so <laughs> she thinks, that her giving him pills is something that could get her arrested because Mm. he died, Uh, which, again, things that are just so far-fetched. But, you know, you just have to ask and see what it was. But so if if I just give someone Tylenol, it's not, you know, grounds for it. No, you should be okay if you give someone Tylenol. I won't report you. (laughs) Well, now it's out in the open, so thanks, guys. (laughs) Let's not report each other friends on this podcast. Uh, Fantastic. Well, let's get into everything that is Annie because there is so much and it's so beautifully nuanced by Kathy Bates. But one of the questions that I want to start with in particular about her uh, mental illness is where it all started. So apparently we find out that she, her husband left her, you know, she had to deal with everything that was the issues with the hospital. And uh, she said that when her husband left her, she just threw herself into her work and she threw herself into the misery books. And that's how she became obsessed uh, with everything that Paul was writing and obsessed with the character uh, misery. So my question is, can a coping mechanism, which is what the books were to Annie, be too much to a point where you become obsessed like her? And on the flip side, what would be some more healthier 
coping mechanisms or did she just take advantage of it and that was just an excuse you know no I mean I think that you bring up a good point of like using like how things exist on the spectrum and like there Mm -hmm. can be things that are that like can be healthy mechanisms to cope like you know losing yourself in a book but like if that then becomes the end all be all of what you're doing all of the time, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that might be unhealthy. Is it like interfering with like your ability to function and maintain relationships and like, you know, be an upstanding uh, (laughs) non-murdering member of society? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So I think, I I think with anything, um, you know, like you, like really leaning into something that can be a coping strategy, if you're doing it all the time, like, is that still coping or mm. are you kind of like erring on the side now of of avoidance, like not dealing with reality because you're like oh, yeah. fully immersing yourself in in something else? And like, again, I think that could be anything like reading, watching movies, playing video games, like anything that people use to decompress. If that's like all you're doing, mm-hmm. like it's not, it's not necessarily just decompression. It's like you're like – you're do you're you're like becoming obsessed with this. Yeah, you're letting it take over your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so with that, we see a plethora of of different kind of characteristics uh, within her. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was uh, Brian's favorite scene. Apparently, was the rain scene and her kind of falling into I just, that. I just love state. rain. I can't help myself. <laughs> oh, also, also something I do want to say is, um, as a first time watcher, and I didn't read the book, um, I did not know that misery. Ha- I, Stephen King, I should have realized this, but I didn't know that misery had like multiple meanings in terms of the book series, the character, mm-hmm. how they're feeling, like the tone. I just wanted to point that out as a as a, a longtime knower and first time viewer. Didn't know that. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and, it, and that's also an interesting point because I loved no. when they make the toast and he yeah. says to misery. And it's not just to the book. It's because he's in a fucking miserable situation. Yeah, right totally. <laughs> that I always, I love that kind of stuff. Sorry. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'll, I'll step away now. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, oh, Brian's leaving. Where's he going? <laughs> he's going to handle our amazing TikTok. Follow us at Talk <laughs> Yeah. So with the rain scene and her depression, can you talk to us about how mental health how weather affects mental health because we hear the phrase seasonal depression a lot, Mm -hmm. but can you just give us your thoughts, your views, your knowledgeable information on how weather can affect mental health? Yeah. I mean, you brought up sad seasonal affective disorder. And I think like, I think, you know, there's the piece around like sunlight and, you know, how we're spending more time in the dark and like light can play a role in, in our, in our mood and things like that. I also think it's connected to like, you know, when the weather is bad, we are potentially losing access to like the outside and like, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. access to things that do bring us joy and pleasure. And so like without those things, we might know this feeling, um, lower and, and, you know, more, more depressed. Yeah. Um, so I think like, like all of those things can definitely play a role. This is going to be random, but I'm just Mm. thinking of the other parts of the country that don't get a lot of sunlight. 
And so this is, you know, we're not experts in, in any of this, but I would just love your opinion about it. How do you think that people just operate differently because they're born in a situation where they're not getting a lot of sunlight, you know, so it's not, so the darkness doesn't, might not necessarily affect them in a way that it would, you know, people in the United States who get a, a myriad of, of everything. And it's not like it's, or there, or there are places where it's sunlight until 11 PM, you know, in mm -hmm. some parts of, of the world. And, I don't know. Do you, I mean, and of course this is something that we're definitely not experts in, but I would love your opinion to think, do you think that someone who was born in a specific part of the country, the weather would be affecting them differently mentally? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's things that people try to do to like counteract, um, you know, how the, how the weather might impact their mood. And I mean, you know, thinking about, um, like what is it the north and south poles where like mm -hmm. there's months where it's like dark out and then like on the flip side months where it's like just light out all the time and mm -hmm. and you know how do you how do you like prepare knowing that you're going to be like I mean you're not always isolated I think that's like a big piece too I know we talk a lot about like social supports on here oh, yeah. but like I think you know how <clears throat> does the role of like having a network of, of people help with mental health generally? And so like, you know, that might be one strategy to manage if you're living somewhere where it's like dark for extended periods of time. Yeah. Um, and even like those, uh, I don't have one, but like I know people who have reported those um, – uh, I forget what they're called. Those like sunlight lamps. Well, I was um, going like to the... mention that because yeah. in an episode of Broad City, <laughs> Alana has a sad lamp, quote unquote. <laughs> With the, she has like the aluminum foil. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> but there's, but she called it a sad lamp. And so when you actually said what seasonal affected, effective? Affective disorder. Disorder. I didn't even realize mm -hmm. that that was an actual thing. I thought it was just a play on words. So that's fantastic. That That is an actual thing. But Yeah. Broad City, you learn all the things. But yes, there's the the sad lamps that you can have during the wintertime so that you can have that sense of sunlight to help with your kind of mental issues. Really <coughs> when I, I went to Iceland a couple years ago and we were there when it was like dark out. Like, mm. I mean, it was like, it was light and dark. So like it never got fully dark, but it never got fully light. So it was always this kind of like, like dawn or dusk kind of like light where it's, it's so it was it's very jarring it's a, especially when you're not used to it it's like a weird thing when you wake up and it's like the sun isn't coming up kind of or when you're going to bed and it's still light out it's it's a super it's a weird experience especially when it's not light or not dark it's kind of like in between it was super cool yeah it was super cool for a week yes yeah, and then you're like, like okay get me out of here <laughs> i can't deal with this uh so my next question is uh, about domestic abuse. So mm -hmm. listeners, if you need to pause it, but it's just something about Annie and she's in love with Paul, but causing all of this violence. And I guess my question is, you know, when people love enough to choose to be violent towards their significant other, where does that thought to hurt someone kind of come from? I guess in, 
your talks with other people or, you know, your, your time working, um, with social work and such, where do you think that that comes from that mindset of to love someone is to also be violent to this person? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily think that like their dynamic is like falls within the realm of intimate partner violence, but like, I think that generally, you know, it's not, I would say for, for some people, like what's on the forefront of the mind isn't to intentionally cause harm, Mm. but rather like there's definitely, there's definitely power and control that's like at the helm and, and what that then, like how that is manifesting, whether it is physical violence or emotional, like psychological violence, um, sexual violence, Mm -hmm. financial harm. Like there's all of these other areas that, you know, a, a partner can exert power and control over someone else. Um, but like in terms of her mental illness, I think like she just doesn't have a strong ability to like regulate her emotions when she gets so like caught up in like rage and anger and then like acts out because she like seemingly has no control over her emotions. Um, So it'll be a different scenario than actual. Yeah. Only because like he is not consenting to anything with with her. Um, And yeah, like I don't think that they're in that type of relationship. Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. Based on the time, and maybe I didn't hear it enough, or I obviously need to know another viewing. And I, I do. This is a movie I would absolutely watch again. I also bought it on iTunes like five years ago when it was ninety nine cents, and I I only watched it oh. for the first time now. Nice, um, good job. But my question is, based on the timeline, she said her husband left her. Mm-hmm. Did the husband leave her like? during the trial before like like did the husband leaving her cause her to kill the babies because she would never be a mother without a husband or like she resented these families who were happy in the hospital Mm. like that kind of thing um do we think that uh, do we think that like the husband left after she found out she was doing these things like and and I'm sure maybe one of our listeners knows better than I do because like I only watched this once and that wasn't exactly the like plot I was following per se. Um, and I'm sure if I look closer, there'd be dates and we can assume certain things, but like, uh, any thoughts there? That's a a great point. And I think I would just go along with what you just said that the husband left her before all of this other stuff was happening because it would seem she said that her husband left her and she, uh, threw herself into her work. So if these trials and stuff were happening, you know, beforehand, then I'm sure she wouldn't be working (laughs) in that time when they're trying to figure out if she's the one who's killing these babies. So I think what you said, my, I would just agree with what you said that the husband left and then that's when she kind of spiraled. But I also feel like she definitely still had those. uh, She said she always had a bad temper. She admitted Mm. that to Paul. So that might've been one of the reasons why her husband left her. And then it was, that just, elevated whatever was already hovering uh within her and then led her to everything mm-hmm. that happened with being in the hospital but but didn't she i mean i thought she started when she was a kid cuz in that scrapbook it was like 
wasn't her like who else was in the scrapbook i don't remember but it, there may have been something also i'm looking on wikipedia and it says that the trial collapsed due to lack of evidence mm. so that explains so she why fascinating okay. yeah but still wouldn't the town know that like this woman like was accused of these bad things and even though she Absolutely. wasn't did it like there would still be some kind of resentment towards her of course well, and it obviously seems like she's not working now. She's at home with Paul all day, it yeah. seems. But mm. going back to what Jamie said, like, um, yeah, maybe there was something where, like, about her childhood or, like, her someone died. I, I honestly don't remember. I have to watch it again. But, yeah, I don't I know. Mean, a lot of things, like you said, Brian, that's probably m- clarified in the book mm-hmm. that wasn't. Because they didn't even really, yeah. I mean, you telling us what the end of the, the trial was, we don't even get that in the movie, mm-hmm. I yeah, guess, it, unless you're it might have been and reading. Right, right, totally. It <clears throat> may have been a, a, yeah. a newspaper clipping. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to distract from your question, but I just thought that was it. Yeah. I think about How these dare things. you? I think about <laughs> the rules and the timelines. Like, like that's, that's also part of the movies that I really the do rules. enjoy a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rules. Also, we're, we're talking it out loud, you know, that's what yeah. we do. We yeah, we don't want to be miserable. <laughs> Yikes, Ooh. Les Mis. Ooh. Uh, yes, well, I mean, now that we're just talking Do about it. Do you the, hear the, big the ankles break? Oh, my <laughs> oh God. God. Now yes. you have to put ankle, bone breaking sounds. Oh, man. Right. <laughs> Look at, <all laughs> Ryan's right. favorite. <laughs> Good luck listening to all those sounds. <laughs> so let's just talk about Annie, so some of the characteristics that we have mentioned on here, obsessive, she's a liar, she has a a bad temper, she lives by herself, husband left her, Uh, She, we see she has no remorse for killing the sheriff, there's suicidal tendencies, Uh, she's using the misery books to cope with her problems, Jamie, you said avoidance. So what what does the DSM-5 say with all of those characteristics that I just said and that we've been talking about? What would you say, Jamie? What would be a close diagnosis? Of course, it's a spectrum of things and could overlap with a lot of different things. But with those characteristics, Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, I was racking my brain because like <clears> – <throat> I don't, again, like as I've mentioned before, I was trying to figure out like, do I feel like she kind of falls neatly into one bucket? And there's like Mm -hmm. a lot of things going on where like maybe that's not necessarily possible. And then I was kind of like doing some Guggen and- um, Yes, Guggen. (laughs) Guggen. So my first thought was that she presented with more of like borderline personality disorder. Mm. Um, And that's like- you know, some of the the symptoms of that is like this fear of abandonment, like going going to like very extreme measures to avoid any any rejection, um, a, a history of like unstable, really intense relationships, mm-hmm. um, impulsive, risky behavior, um, like suicidality is is a common symptom. Um, yeah, the that kind of like switch between mood um like that the mood swings that we see in her yeah um and I felt like a lot of that is is 
you know, indicative of like how she's acting in this. But also what I was finding um, is that they are, they apparently in the novel more, they suggest that bipolar disorder is more like active a diagnosis. Again, kind of like speaking to the, the shift in, in her mood. And so like with mania, um, those are like the highs. So like, you know, irritable racing thoughts, um, Mm. like a decreased need for sleep, uh, again, like impulsive, risky decision, poor decision-making, um, that like heightened energy. And then on the flip side, you have like the low depressive episodes, Mm -hmm. depressed mood. Um, you can have insomnia or on the flip side, parasomnia, which is when you're sleeping too much, but like still Mm. not feeling well rested. Um, a loss of interest in things. Um, again, suicidality. Um, so like there's, there's maybe like a, a, a little bit of overlap with some of those things. Another thing that I had found when I was doing some research is that, um, I always get the, I always pronounce this wrong, schizotypal, schizotypal, uh, personality disorder. So it's another personality disorder. There's like, when I first learned the DSM, I learned the DSM four and they kind of categorize them into different clusters. So one of the Mm -hmm. clusters has, um, schizotypal or typal, which is described as odd or eccentric and um, has a has difficulty in terms of like relationships, like understanding how how to interact and like their behavior on others. Yeah. Um, and and might misinterpret others, you know, behaviors because they themselves don't understand them. And so mm. there's like a lot of paranoia and distrust, um, avoidance of social situations, like we see her out, you know, in the middle of nowhere very only going into town to like make her purchases and things like that. Right. She doesn't really, I mean, she has no relationships cause everyone is dead. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, she's pretty, <clears throat> she's pretty alone. Um, but like also again is like, she has, she definitely has some like peculiar ways of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, her like, her interpretation of certain events and stuff as she's like reflecting on them, like doesn't seem to match up with reality. Um, so I thought that was another really interesting and that's different from schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, Cause I know the schizo part, sometimes people get confused. Right, right, right. Um, or like schizophrenia is a, is a mental illness where, um, you know, people are presenting with like psychotic symptoms. So hallucinations, delusions. Mm. Um, whereas I would say the, the biggest difference between, personality disorders and like other, um, like mental illnesses is that personality disorders, there's often like a really, and, and I'm saying this as like a general explanation and not saying like, I don't think that people with personality disorders don't recognize when like something is going on. But I would say the way that I was taught to understand it is like, if you have anxiety or depression, like Mm -hmm. you're able to recognize like, Oh, there's something wrong. Like, I don't feel like myself. Something feels off. Yeah. And like seek out treatment. There's there is a lot of stigma when it comes to personality disorders because it it can be really challenging to like recognize when you might be experiencing symptoms of a personality disorder because it's not necessarily manifesting in that same way. Yeah. Um, and I also think that like mental health treatment has come a long way where like you know folks with borderline personality disorder there's still so much stigma but like there's so many more resources available and and more of like an understanding of of like what those symptoms look like. But like, I think generally with personality disorders, the idea is that like, 
there's this belief that like they don't think that they're again this is a the very big generalization but mm-hmm. like that they don't think that there's anything wrong with them but there's something wrong with everyone else mm. and so like your experience of it is looking differently from like anxiety and depression where it's like no this feels wrong to me like something yes. is wrong yeah um and so that's that was like one of the ways that um i remember learning about like the differences between between these two um like forms of mental illness yeah So again, it is, you know, a spectrum of things. And so she could check the boxes of a lot of these different things. But you mentioned that in the book, it's more specifically the bipolar. uh, That's, yeah. Well, according to uh, the Wikipedia entry for Annie Wilkes. um, (laughs) And they're saying like, they, they reference, I guess, in the novel that she has like, they, she presents with a lot more um, like symptoms of depression where yeah. they, it says like that she has these long bouts with of depression and apparently she's seen like self-harming, um, mm. which again, like, you know, can still fall under all of these buckets, like right. self-harming or non-suicidal self-injury, like cutting or burning. Um, that is also like a very common symptom of borderline personality disorder. So mm. again, like you, I, I feel like you can make the argument for um, you know, not fitting neatly into just one. Yeah. Um, and apparently she also, uh, in the, in the novel, like she eats vast quantities of food, which like on its own might look like potentially bulimia with like binging, but, Mm -hmm. um, but also sometimes like, you know, with symptoms of depression, one of them can be like weight gain or weight loss, like using food as a mechanism to, to cope. Um, so again, it's like just, a lot of unhealthy behaviors that she's exhibiting. Yeah. From that, here's a question. As far as treatment for these different things and a variety of things, because things can be in different buckets and different categories, if some, if a therapist said, okay, I think you have a, this thing and they treat you for that, but it might be more on the side of B. Do you think whatever they're treating for the A would still be beneficial, even if it might be leaning towards B? Mm, That's a really good question. I think it depends on context and like what treatment we're talking about. Because I think a lot of times, like what I've found in working with people is like past experiences of mental health treatment, more often when it comes to like medication, Mm -hmm you might be treated for one thing with a certain type of medication, but it actually could cause like another, a whole host of side effects that like are mm. exacerbating symptoms yeah, because fair. of a misdiagnosis. And mm-hmm. and again, and not because of like, you know, malpractice or like those no. types of reasons. Right. But again, as I've mentioned, like the art of diagnosis is really challenging. Yeah. And, absolutely. and like being able to like take, you know, somebody's like someone's, mental health history, their family history, um, their, their like social and environmental history, like all of these factors that, that potentially play a role in how they are experiencing symptoms to then try to treat. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really hard. And there's, there's things that overlap and things where it's like, oh, it could be this, but it also could be that. And so there's a lot of like, you know, ruling out that you have to do. And, and, you know, while there are some, some practitioners out there that like might be 
be, have more of that tunnel vision and be like, oh, well, it's gotta be this, um, like that, you know, that definitely can have the potential to cause harm. But I think it depends on like what the, the type of approach. And like, if you're just talking like talk therapy type thing, I think, um, I think it's less that they would cause harm, but more of like, I think for like in seeking out therapists, like you're looking for some type of fit. You want to make sure that you like jive well with a therapist. Mm -hmm. And there might be some approaches where it's like, oh, like this is just not like, this is too action oriented. This is too directive. I want something that's like, you know, more processy and like just kind of talking through um, or vice versa. Like I feel like I'm just talking and I'm just getting hmms and huhs and like nothing really back. I'm looking for someone to like challenge me. I'm looking for someone to give me homework. Yeah. Um, so like, I think it just, it, it totally depends on like, what are you like as a, as a client, what are you looking for? What type of approach do you feel like would be most supportive to like help you, you know, like unpack certain things or, or like really whatever, whatever thing you're seeking out, like how do you find an approach that works best with you? So I think in that sense, you know, it's not necessarily that it would, always cause harm, but rather like it just might not be landing in the way that like they're looking for. Right. No, that's, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, my last question, uh, for you, cause Jamie, you've given so much information on this podcast and my <laughs> God learning all the things. Uh, but Paul mentions at, in the epilogue that Brian hates that. I need to re I need to, I need a rewatch of this for sure. Okay. Well, that Brian needs to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Paul mentions that his trauma in a way helped him make the book that he wanted to write. Do you think that all trauma can be kind of process processed and turned into something that could help you in a positive way? I think that I, I there's a part maybe I'm like reading it the other way of like he used the novel to help him process the trauma. Mm, So mm. I don't know if the trauma itself like helped him. Well, I guess he does say that actually. Um, But I mean, I, I think that there's still something about like the processing of it and like, you know, not that we all have to experience trauma in order to like learn something about ourselves. I don't think that that would be pleasant. Um, But like in for his particular situation, you know, how like how did that experience like did he learn something about himself, whether it's like his resilience or, you know, the the impact that his story has had on the masses or or I I don't I mean, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. I I'm trying to think about like what. I think kind of what Brian was saying, like, what do we think that he learned about himself? Because they, this, they yeah. don't really give us that much other than, like, he he did this exercise of, of writing this novel for himself. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe before he was writing for the people and, like, wasn't really focused on himself. And then he saw the – I'm making this up. But, like, he saw mm-hmm. the negative impact that, that that then had where someone became obsessed with his work and him. And like, he fed into that because he was, you know, trying to make money and, and doing it because the people wanted it. And like 
having gone through this experience, he was like, oh, I like, it's not just about doing it for other people where that can also go terribly, terribly wrong. But like, I got to do this for me. Like I, I, regardless of if it does, cause I think she, the, the agent is like, oh, it's going to like make mad money. And he's right. like, you know, whatever. He's like in almost indifferent. Like he doesn't care that it's going to be a bestseller because it's, it's for him. He did it's it for, for himself. It's a, yeah. it's, yeah. It's like him to, you know, like unpack and, and make sense of all of the trauma that he experienced. And like, it's, he doesn't care about like, you know, the impact that the book has. And, and I guess that's maybe what he learns is that like Mm. his career path is like, you know, that there has to be an element of like his identity and and doing it for him and not just for, for the money and for, for the fame and all of that, because like, you know, look where it got him again. Not that like becoming famous means that like that warrants (laughs) a stalker and assault and all of those things. But like, I'm wondering if that's kind of what, what he's alluding to. And also, I'll also add to that, that like, he doesn't want to write about his experience. Like he's still traumatized by it. He hasn't moved past it. He sees her, you know, he just, what interests me about that epilogue is that he's presenting as the same as before, except with a limp in Mm -hmm. some ways, but like, Mm -hmm. obviously like he's not the same. I think I would have liked to see a little bit more of him not being the same as opposed to, as opposed mm-hmm. to presenting to the Lauren Bacall agent character as kind of being the same. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, I, to me, there was a little bit of a discrepancy there, even because, I don't know, I feel like we watch a lot of movies where the ending of the psychological trauma does not, like, justify what they went through. Meaning, mm-hmm. like, and, and I feel like we're just like, well, if you go through something horrible, like, you survive, that's all that matters. But, like, no, like, 18 months later, like, I don't need to see how much therapy he's gone to. I don't need mm-hmm. to see like I that, that I'm I'm not interested in that in, in terms of like this movie ending, um, but I am interested in just a little bit more context about like where he is. Even though some people would argue that they do give you plenty of context because he's hallucinating her, and like yeah. he mm-hmm. he makes that comment to the woman. It's like that's very sweet of you to say. Like he still has to like put on his famous person airs, even right. though like he's internally struggling with a lot of things. I think more could have been done to show that potentially. But I like, mm-hmm. I don't know, and may, and I could be totally wrong, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like movies like this, like Insidious or something like that, where like, yeah, that jump scare at the end when you think everything is okay and it's not, is very jarring because like outwardly things are okay, but inwardly like, no, 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 no. Like you still got all this stuff going on. Yeah. And I wasn't looking for a jump scare per se, but I just needed something. I needed more of a contrast between the two as opposed to, um, as opposed to, uh, kind of the like almost casual version that we got of her walking down with the desserts or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it was a traumatic experience and we all have watched it unfold. And so for, there to be no difference in him from all that is a little questioning. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And, and I, I just want to reiterate, like there was a difference. That's for sure. He sees her. I get it. But I, I like Nikisha said, like a more of a difference probably would have, would have helped a yeah. little bit. Um, three things that I did not mention that I just want to roll off before we, we move on is mm-hmm. one, uh, the MVP of this movie are his sweatpants. He put everything in those sweatpants. <laughs> Those sweatpants were full of kerosene and pills. And, like, those sweatpants came very much in handy. 
Oh yes. my god. Agreed. Yes. Uh yeah, I also um this movie I know Rob Reiner directed it and I think it I think Stephen King movies being directed by someone who has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Especially Stephen King movies because his books are quite humorous in places. Um really helps and like and the cleverness of the comedy none of the comedy in this movie was based on like one-liners and jokes it was all situational where like mm-hmm. the cheers or like he would make a left uh, like a he would like use words underneath his breath to like to to like you know be ironic but like to us it's funny like we're laughing um i yeah. really appreciate that because it, it cuts i feel like we've seen a lot of horror movies that have just no comedy and that's what they're trying to do i don't mind that at all i love that actually um mm-hmm. but that's something that definitely um that definitely is always helped in a stephen king story specifically can mm-hmm. i just add to that and say in my deep dive of rob reiner i did not realize that he was an all in the family. And that was oh, yeah. a show that my dad and I watched all of the time. And so just seeing everything that he has done as a director, but also as an actor, I think that that is a good combination of things. Like you said, to your point, mm-hmm. Brian, of the humor and understanding the context and being able to bring that through in this Stephen King uh, story. But it definitely has to do with the fact that he grew up and his dad also was, you know, the director of, of what the Dick Van Dyke show and um, mm-hmm. having having th- those two aspects come together to really. Yeah, his dad's best friend is Mel Brooks. Like, right. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, that's all the questions that I had. Brian, did you have a question? We, we kind of talked about everything as okay. this went along. So I'm totally good Me. with uh, talking about some uh, rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Tomatoes, tomatoes, all of the toes. Tomatoes. All of the toes. All the toes I stuck mean, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Rotten Tomatoes game. Uh, what do you think this Rotten Tomatoes score is? I'm going to say 90. Eek. Jamie? Um, I'm going to say... 96. All right. This movie has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? Nikisha, Yay. right on right on the ankle. Uh, <laughs> on the, ankle. <laughs> uh, the critics' Woo. consensus is elevated by standout performances from James Caan and Kathy Bates. This taut and frightening film is one of the best Stephen King adaptations to date. Nice. I do not know when that was written. So to date could be two weeks ago or 1991. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Having not seen all of them, but seeing quite a few of them. Uh, mm. I mean, this definitely would stand out as one of the better ones for sure. Absolutely. Just the progression of it all. It's great. Definitely. Uh, so let's do some ratings of the four S's. All right, the four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Skulls, scares, and shakes are rated one through ten, ten being the best or the most, and then we'll give some suggestions. 
Jamie, why don't you start off with Skulls? How well does this movie depict or try and handle human behavior and mental health? I'm going to give it a seven. I feel like it does Ooh. a pretty solid job. I, I'm i pretty satisfied with this movie. All right. Nikisha, what's your number? I mean, I feel like I have to do the same as Jamie and just say seven because Jamie rarely rates <laughs> yeah. any of our movies on a high note. So yeah, she gave I'll, Psycho I'll a six. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so I'll go with seven. I'm going with a six on this one. Um, I think that it's good. I, I maybe I needed a little bit more explanation or a little bit more specificity. If we were, I'm gonna give it higher, but like, definitely great. Um, oh. Scares. How scary is this movie? <laughs> Jamie. Jamie's face. Maybe <laughs> like a. I'll give it. I'll give it a four. Um, and not because of like really jump scares. There was one jump scare at the end when she comes back after she got hit in the head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like yeah, they're never really him. dead. They always come yeah, back. <laughs> never really dead. Um, and mostly for like the tension building and like dread that exists. Totally. Yeah. Nikisha? I am going, uh, I want to give it a six because of the dread and the anxiety and the anticipation and the tension building just with him always trying to get out of that damn room, my sure. anxiety was definitely on 10. So I'll give cool. it a six. Uh, I'm giving it a three. Only the body horror stuff really got to me in this one. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the gunshot. I wasn't expecting her to actually kill um, the, uh, the sheriff. sheriff. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I would give it a three. Because I'll go with my shakes is a seven. Uh, how much can I mm. shake it off? It's going to stick with me, I mm. think, because of the tension, because of that, but mostly because of her performance. Like mm-hmm. her performance more than anything is why this movie works, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Anyone else, I don't think it would have been as good. I would give it a six for her performance. On the Jamie? Shakes. Um... Yeah, like a like a five. Um, I think it's just a very memorable performance and <clears throat> an overall movie. Like I really, for the most part, I've remembered like everything that's happened, and and it's my feelings about it like haven't really changed. So yeah. like I just feel like it's something that's like made its way and and implanted in my brain. Nice. So I'm just looking at like the numbers we've given over the years. Um, over the years. Just the in terms years. of like <clears throat> Jamie's highest is a 10 hereditary. Mm. Uh, then Dogtooth is a nine. And that's it. And then she has a couple of eights in here. Um, Nikisha, <laughs> do you have any tens? Let's see. I thought I did. Nikisha. At least a nine. You have nines. I don't think you have any tens in here. Oh, you have one ten. Oh, we all gave Hereditary a ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nikisha, you've got a nine for Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Uh, and Jimmy had a seven for that, I think. And Nikisha, you have a nine for Scream. Also fantastic. And a nine for Psycho. We should like, do like a legacy scores. Yeah. And like revisit... Like, okay, you know, X time has passed. Like, 
do you still feel the same way? Has this oh, actually yeah. like stuck around? Oh, we could, maybe we do that in October as like a fun uh, Halloween or something episode where we take kind of a retrospective Ooh. and we we just like mm. what are our top movies and our bottom movies that we've done so far? That'd be cool. Um, yeah. Me, I've got a 10 for Psycho. I've got a 9 for Scream. I've got a 10 for Midnight Mass. I've got a 10 for Hereditary. I'm easy to please. Um, <laughs> a 9. Oh, Nikisha, you and I have 9s for The Conjuring. Yeah. Uh, the original one. Uh, mm-hmm. And oh, I've got a 10 for his house. Nice. Cool. This was fun. We should definitely do an episode like that to see if things have changed and we can amend those. Absolutely. That's cool. I yes. like that. Awesome. Uh, let's do some suggestions. What do you what would you suggest to like go along with misery? Wine. Uh well. <laughs> um, I went on the fun. <laughs> These are not great movies, and I'm just going to say this now, mm-hmm. but it's the the fun-obsessed, uh, if you can be fun-obsessed, um, movies. And my first suggestion is going to be a movie called Secret Obsession, which I believe Ooh. is on Netflix, and it's with Brenda Song, our favorite Disney Channel uh, actress. <laughs> okay. And, right. uh, <clears throat> yeah, just about people – being obsessed with other people, you know. And again, mm. speaking of obsession, there is another movie called Obsessed with Idris Elba and Beyonce. Wait, <laughs> I think I I see this movie. Came out oh in my 2009. God. And you just watch it. If you're a Beyonce fan, you it's just one of those things. Like, you got to watch everything she with does. With Ali Larder. Yeah, it's tragic. But... uh just, you know, if if you want to go down the someone's obsessed with someone route, watch Secret Obsession or Obsessed. Those are my suggestions. <laughs> I believe those two would absolutely come in a two-pack together. Not with Misery. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere close to Misery. Sure, sure. You're creating your own two-pack. Those two movies yeah. would go in a two-pack together. Yes. Uh, Jamie, what are you suggesting? Okay, so I... Also thought like, oh, what's a good obsession-y um, type theme? So I have two. One fits into that and one is different. So the first one is Swim Fan. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a good. My my teen crush, Jesse Bradford um, and Erica Christensen and Sherry Appleby. Nice. Um, uh, You know, what a great classic – obsession uh and swimming there's a lot of swimming um (laughs) so we got that and then for my other one um more of the like can I trust this person who says that they're trying to protect me Mm. um I went with 10 Cloverfield Lane Oh, oh, nice. That's a good suggestion. So the, so the sequel, or the, the second, not necessarily sequel. Well, I don't want to I think it's the third much, but one. No, I think it's the second one. Is it? Oh, because there was that Netflix mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, the one after was the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I also love Cloverfield. I was obsessed with that movie. When was it, it your secret out. obsession? Ooh. No, it was my well-known obsession. Um, no, I, I love Cloverfield. Um, and I thought this was like a pretty good, um, you know, like within the world. I also love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of if you're looking for a more like 
psychological thriller paranoia. Yeah. Um, this this is my suggestion. My suggestion is super basic. Uh, did you like Kathy Bates in a Stephen King adaptation? Well, here's another Stephen King adaptation with Kathy Bates. 1995's Dolores Claiborne um, starring uh, Kathy Bates. So uh, go watch <laughs> yeah. that. I've seen that one. That one I like. Uh, I like this one too. I meant like, that's not what I mean. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Mom, super basic. If you like this combination, here's another one of the same combination, just with a different plot. Nice. Okay. These are good. These are good suggestions. Yay. Well, I think that does it for our episode of the breaking of legs, hobbling, how to do it and why. Uh, wait, is this what you got from that movie? Okay. <laughs> we all have our secret obsession, you know. It's just a it's a how-to, stalker how-to sure. by Stephen King. Thanks. Uh so thanks for listening, guys. You can follow us on all of the social meds, i.e. Instagram, Twitter, and the fabulous TikTok that Brian is running so well at Talk Horror Pod, P-O-D, Talk Horror Pod. And Brian, where can they listen to us? You can find us wherever you get podcasts like Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please. And thank you. Thank you. And what would be a good good <laughs> sign-off little... There's so many good quotes in this movie between you're just an old dirty birdie to he didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. Uh, But I think my absolute favorite is look there. Now see what you made me do. Yes. I love that scene. Ugh, it's so good. So much soup spilling. It's a great. As a a lover of soup. As a soup lover. That was super stressful. Super stressful. Oh, Soup, I'm your number one fan. <laughs> I'm Soup's number one fan. I burn my mouth I out all the time. True. I get burned by Soup. <laughs> you got burned. This is all fantastic. <laughs> I think Soup's number one fan. That's that's my favorite, yeah. Jamie. Soup, <laughs> I'm your number one fan. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs>